Hi, I'm Kate. And I'm Mary B. Welcome to the The Happiest Happiest Girls Girls Podcast. Episodes will drop every Monday morning, and each week we'll be tackling a new topic, chatting about motherhood, singlehood, health, wellness, and everything in between. Tune in each week as we discuss what it means to be the happiest girl. All right. Hi, Dad. Hello, Kate. Hello, Mary B. Hi. How's everybody doing today? A very special guest on the podcast today. Uh, our father is joining us to talk finance, which is very important for young women like ourselves. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know, Mary B., what do you want to say about your week? What did you do this week? What have you been up to? Anything? Oh, uh, nothing too crazy this week for me. Flew home. We're all in Kansas City right now, which yes. is where we grew up in our childhood home dining room yeah. to set the scene for everybody. And ranked as the fourth most livable city in the United States. Yep, spread the yes. word. It's also very, very sunny here, yeah. which I like, because New York, it can be kind of gloomy. Mm-hmm. Very sunny here all the time. Beautiful weather, and I got to experience the new Kansas City Airport. It was just a wild experience. Like, there's an airport that's been the way it has been my entire life, and they just up and built a new one. Yeah, we need we need Claude from the Toast to come back and see what she thinks of the new airport. I know. I was just telling Spencer about that actually when we were getting coffee. I was like, so like one of my favorite podcasters, Claudia, she tours all around the country for her comedy shows, and. She always says the best airport she's ever been to is the Kansas City Airport. She loves it. So, Claudia, like if there's any reality in which you're hearing this right now, <laughs> I need you to go back to Kansas City and give us a full review. I'm scared. Like I'm like it might not it's very be very different from what she used yeah. to. Though it's very nice. It's very nice. Yeah. Dad, anything you want to tell us about your week? Anything special that you've done? Well, we've had a very exciting week in preparation for the homecoming of uh, the two of you and Spencer and the dictator. <laughs> we are Perfect. we are very excited to have you guys here and have it, have, make it back home. It's uh, it's what makes a house a home. So um, it has been a lot of fun to have you guys and hopefully you guys have a great time. We have a great weather. Got to go to the Royals game yeah. and... Um, Dictators first. <clears throat> uh, homemade cinnamon rolls. Yes. So yeah. All right, so I guess we'll just get straight to it. I'll give a little background of why why we should trust this man mm-hmm. here. So he is a certified investment management analyst, and you recently opened your own family office in 2020, and you focus on providing investment planning slash financial advisory and wealth management services to high and ultra high net worth clients. He is also the managing director of his family office, which is a 19-person team managing approximately $1.8 billion in assets. So you focus on providing wealth management services to high net worth individuals, families, and institutions throughout the United States, and you are recognized as Forbes' top wealth management team in the private wealth sector in 2022. Oh, good job. I didn't dad. even know wow. that, Dad. Wow. wow. Shout you. out to our dad. Just doing the, the Providing. most. <laughs> Providing. Thank you. Yeah, so he also went was a double domer at Notre Dame. For those of you who are part of the ND fam, I know we have a lot of ND family listeners. Yeah. And you did the executive MBA program at Harvard? That's their equivalent. Equivalent? So I'm a Harvard MBA. Yeah. Lots of, and you went Alumnus. to, did a lot of stuff at Wharton, 
which we like, Pepperdine. You've done a lot of continuing ed throughout your I work hard life. to be the smartest person in the industry. Yes. Mm. It doesn't just happen overnight. Yes, you gotta, you got to work at it. But I'd like mm-hmm. to say on his list of accomplishments, his his very first one was obviously his daughter, Kate. Number two, mm-hmm. maybe. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, okay. <laughs> well. But, but yes, he does. Certainly did our four children. <laughs> yes, four children. <clears throat> being married to his smoking hot wife, our mom. Oh, yeah. So, and you do a lot of things outside of work. You run a lot of marathons. You did the original marathon in Greece. You did the swim from Alcatraz. Two half Ironmans. You climbed Mount Kilimanjaro. You climbed Mount Rainier with Mary B. Yep, that was a great time. So the guide told me that my dad was the toughest man he's ever met. So no. that's who we've got on the pod wow. right now, everybody. Tough, tough. All right. <laughs> Do you have anything else you want to add to why we should listen to you and your advice? Well, I've been doing it for 34 years. I've seen every possible um, incident in the markets and the financial world. So I bring a lot of experience. Um, and it is a, uh, what I love about it is it changes every day. And um, it is uh, something that is, um, takes a lot of uh, work to keep up with everything that goes on with it. And there's some myriad of ways to get in trouble. And uh, it's very gratifying for me to help people make sense of it and to make sure that they can live comfortably and never worry about their money. Yeah. Yeah, that's what dad would say. Our older brother is a doctor and I'm a nurse, obviously. And he's, he would say, Kate and Tommy, keep keep you alive. I keep you from eating cat food. That's right. <laughs> I wow, improve, I've never heard that before. <laughs> I improve people's lives. You yes. guys make their sure. lives healthier. And yeah. keep them alive. You improve them. Mm-hmm. So we had a lot of amazing questions from our listeners that we just wanted to get into. Obviously, we're not going to be able to get to all of them, but we're going to try our best to get to as many as we can. Mm -hmm. And the first one is obviously very close to home for me now that I become primarily a stay-at-home mom, but how can stay-at-home moms or moms who want to be, who who want to stay at home or women who imagine their lives as being a stay-at-home mom, how can they best protect themselves going into a marriage and what kind of conversations should they be having with their husbands slash future husbands? Well, first and foremost, you want to be able to make sure that you, as the stay-at-home mom, is able to take care of your child in the way that you and your husband want them to for the rest of your lives. And so the most um, inexpensive and best way to do that is to buy term life insurance on your husband. So if something happens to him and he's no longer around, Um, you are protected and you can raise your child the way you and your husband had intended to raise them for the rest of your child's time when they're home and when they're out of the home. And so what I typically recommend is you buy enough term life insurance to cover the base expenses that you need to live comfortably and have the term insurance last for at least 25 years or until the child is out of the house or until your last child's out of the house. And so 25 years will make it through grad school and so that should get it done but you should determine what amount of money that you and your child need to live comfortably divide that by four percent is what i typically like to use and that will generate the income that you need for the rest of your lives and so as an example let's say you need two hundred thousand dollars to live comfortably if you divide that by four percent that comes up to $5 million. And so what it means is that if something happens to your husband and um, 
the life insurance pays out, you get the $5 million. You can put it into some tax-free municipal bonds, insured tax-free municipal bonds that currently yield 4%, and that'll generate $200,000 tax-free for the rest of your lives. And so you and your children, or you and your child can live comfortably. You don't have to go out and get a job and leave your child. You can stay there and raise your child, which uh, I personally think is the best option. And you're protected until your child's out of school. Now, once the child's out of school, you really don't need insurance anymore, and uh, you're on your own if your husband passes away after 25 years. So, but uh, but term is not that expensive. There are more expensive life insurance products, but term insurance, term is the key. I don't typically think you want whole life. Life insurance itself is a bad bet. Statistically, you're gonna live uh, to your life expectancy. But if somebody is gonna be financially destitute without you around, you wanna make sure that you've got the cash flow so that they're okay. Mm -hmm. The other thing they can do is uh, you always wanna make sure they have disability insurance. Most employers are gonna provide that for you. Typically, it's 80% of what your salary is. If you feel like you need more, you can buy supplemental. But again, it's a low probability, but you've got to have it if something happens to you. So just make sure that 80% of their salary is covered uh, with disability insurance. And then finally, and this is uh, takes a little bit more effort, but I just think as a, if you really want to be protected, you do all the budgeting and you do all the bill paying in your household. And uh, that way you know exactly where all the money's going and what kind of financial shape you're in. If you do end up having a spendthrift spouse, uh, you will be aware of it immediately because you're controlling the purse strings. And so I'm sure your husband would be happy to delegate that to you and just take that off their plate so that they can focus on bringing the money in and you make sure that it gets allocated properly in effect, you are the chief financial officer of your yes. household. And so if anything were to happen to your husband, you are more than capable to handle anything on the financial side. And we'll talk a little bit more on budgeting. I think that's the next question, yes. but mm -hmm. on how to do that, because thanks to modern technology, there are a lot of easy tools that can make that a lot easier. Yes, I think it's so important to have that <clears throat> financial literacy within your own home and having access to every single account and see what's coming in and going out so that they can't just start siphoning away money without you knowing. So I think that's something of, that you should really be aware of and know what's what's happening and making sure that well, all of your names are on the accounts. And I was talking to mom yesterday, I was like, oh, are you, do you put your name on the loans that you and dad take out for things? And she said, absolutely. And I was like, why would, I, why would you do that? Why wouldn't you just put dad's name on the loan? And she said, well, you can explain it, I guess, but how it's collateral, how well, your home... It, well, I think she said she wants to own the house. To be on, she wants on to be on it. Title, so you can't be on just the title and not the yeah, mortgage, yeah, right? Yeah, well, you should, yes, you should own everything jointly. <clears throat> and what that means, if something happens to uh, one of you, the other person automatically owns it. And so that's the, the easiest way to do it. And then on mortgages, um, you always want to make sure that if you own the house that if there's a mortgage you're on it also i mean there's a lot of horror stories where you know husbands have borrowed a lot of money and just told their wife to go ahead and sign it and so they're on it and then something happens and the husband defaults and you lose everything and 
you know, the spouse didn't really know what was going on and you don't want that to occur. So you, that's why I think it's important that if you, you should do the budget, you should handle the payments, you know what's going on, you know what uh, the amount of risk that you're exposed to, whether it's prudent or not, and that you're making those decisions together. As much as people are optimistic and they think things are going to go exactly the way they should, you always have to plan for a worst case scenario and mm. make sure you can withstand it. Because, you know, if everything goes well, everybody's happy. But if it doesn't go the right way, it can cause major issues in your lives. And they could have been avoided coming out of the gate. Yes. All right. So we'll just seamlessly go into what you think the best budget is for anyone. Mm -hmm. Well, I think budgeting is is critical. If you want to have a anxiety-free and happy financial life, you should budget. And it is really as simple as breaking it down to what your needs are, and that is what you have to have to live comfortably every month. Uh, Then you have your wants, and then you have your wishes, and you keep it in that priority. And you start out with, you know, what are the things, your housing, everything else that you need. And I typically think only 40 to 50% of your monthly paycheck, it will be required to cover your needs. And you know, that's your housing, you know, food, insurance, you know, your minimum debt payments, clothes, utilities, et cetera, the, the things that you have to use to live comfortably. If it's more than 50%, you know, significant amount more than 50%, you probably want to look at down, you know, simplifying your life and make sure that you're not, you know, living in somebody else's tax bracket. So I think that's, that's important and it's a good reflection of are you where you need to be. Now, if your paycheck isn't covering your needs, then, I mean, you want to look at doing something like finding a second job. And, um, you know, if after you've simplified your life as much as you want to, you know, at the end of the day, you've got to have the cash flow to cover it. The, the only true financial risk is not having cash flow when you need it. So, you know, make sure that you have got that covered and make sure that you're living within your means and you'll never worry about money again. It, it, if things go bad, there's nothing worse than living with that anxiety of, of living paycheck to paycheck. Definitely. <clears throat> so you know, always know you absolutely control it, especially now when there's there's more job openings out there than there are people looking for jobs. So you know, all it takes is if you need to get another job, get another job. It doesn't matter what it is. Just bring in the cash flow. Uh, okay, so... You know, so the wants are the things that, you know, would be nice to have, but you don't need them to live comfortably. And I think one of the most important ones, if that, is to, you know, pay off your debt. Hmm. And so everybody wants to pay off their debt. You know, debt is a huge negative. If it spins out of control, it can cause major problems. And you may go into it thinking, I can handle this debt, but then, you know, things come up in your life and you end up going more into debt and it becomes a death spiral. So uh, I think anything over and above your your needs, start paying down your debt. Once you've got that taken care of, savings for your retirement, I think is critical. Obviously, you know, Social Security's out there, but that only covers a small part of, of your retirement. And so savings for retirement is uh, a very efficient way, and we'll touch on that here in a moment in there. But, you know, eating out, everybody likes eating out, especially if you're living in the big city. It's a lot of fun, but it is expensive. You know, I once... I had to live in New York City for three weeks, and uh, I made it a goal to see if I could live on $20 a day uh, on food-wise. 
And um, I was able to do it. A lot of halal so, jokes. A lot of street food. <laughs> a lot of well, halal. I love the halal, the halal guys. And, um, nice guys. Yeah. Uh, dig In was great. Oh, love Dig In. And then just... Um, they call it Dig now. Just Dig. The kids call it Dig. And then just a, a simple breakfast of oatmeal. So, you know, so it can be done. But uh, again, it's uh, eating out in the big city in New York is can be very expensive and... Um, that is a want. It could even be pushed out into a wish if you're going to the nicer places. Mm. But and then you know wants, we needs. You've got to have you know decent clothes. But if you want really nice clothes, I would put that on the want page too. But you can determine what that is. Then finally, wishes. Wishes is really everything else. You know, if you want experiences and big trips and you know upgrade your car and your clothes and everything else, that is on the want side. And but don't you know? Make sure if you're doing your budgeting right, you're living within your means. You have you, you go through that pecking order of making sure that you've got all those things covered. But a great tool for that, one of the easiest, is Quicken. So uh, there are a lot of them out there. I think Quicken's the easiest. They they download your you know all your credit card bills and your your checking account and they categorize it for it. So just with a couple pushes the button, you know exactly what went where and how much money you have. And so I would definitely get on there and I would use that religiously every month and, you know, make it a goal to, to make sure you're living within your means on that. And what percentage would be wants, wishes, needs, needs. for savings? Needs uh, I, I mean, I, close, I, I, would, I would keep it around 50%. Try to live within your means around 50%. And then the other two, it's you've got your wants and you know, you can use, you can spend the other 50% on your wants, you know, just make sure you're paying off your debt and your savings. And then anything over and above that, you can reward yourself by your wishes. Mm-hmm. And wishes are really things that you know you don't need, and but you just want to make sure that you've got excess savings out there. But you really have to have a, a good, you know, honest conversation with yourself on what your needs are and what your wants are. And then anything over and above that is in there. But once you get those needs taken care of, you are, you know, you're, you've got a lot of flexibility on everything else. So what percentage of your, let's say, net salary would you suggest that someone saves monthly? Well, um, so number one, I would, and this is one of the questions in here, but mm. so we'll get to it. But one of the, uh, or the best way, I think the best way to save is through your uh, corporate retirement plan and because mm-hmm. you absolutely want to be putting as much in there to equal the match that they're putting in there so mm-hmm. typically they'll do something that they will match the first five percent of what you put in there and that is a hundred percent return on your money mm-hmm. you know it's so you've automatically doubled your money so you know people you know they'll fly to vegas to try to double their money well you can do it right there and you're your retirement plan. There you go. You automatically double your money immediately. And so you want to take advantage of that as much as possible because you get 100% return on your money. So when you're thinking about saving, that is, that's the first place to do it. So whatever amount of money that is, that's what you want to put in there. Mm-hmm. But um, then, you know, over and above that, it's, again, it's, everybody's percentage is a little bit different, but it, it all depends on making sure you're living within your means. But I would absolutely make sure you, you probably won't even notice it that you put as much in to maximize the match, and then um, anything over and above that, you I would 
consider you know a wish. I mean, I would take care of all your other wants first, but mm-hmm. but then continue to maximize that if you have excess money in there. But we'll I've got some more. Yeah, yeah let's we'll keep get, going. We'll, get I'll we'll, we'll talk on more on that. Yes, I didn't mean to derail. <laughs> um, so the next one that we have from our listeners is. How do you recommend paying off credit card debt? Credit card debt is the number one cause of bankruptcy in the United States. So there's a lot written on that. You can dig a deep hole in it. You know, the the interest can become exorbitant and it is really a very, very bad thing. But there's a lot of studies that have been done on this. And what they say is that you should only use your credit card for emergencies. Mm. And uh, studies have shown that when you pay with cash with everything, because the act of giving something away is psychologically a much bigger negative, and you're less likely to give it away if you're using cash. So you end up spending less money by using cash than a credit card. But obviously, if you're spending you know a big payment, you can't use cash. But you always want to use cash as much as possible, and then you're able to track more easily what you're giving away and the value that you're receiving from it. And you absolutely want to take it very seriously and pay attention to it because you become, can become financially destitute very easily by having the credit cards. Because if they're charging you 20% interest, it is very, very difficult to dig out of that. And so be very, very afraid of credit cards and using them. I I can't stress that enough. So would you say then if you cannot see yourself paying back your credit card immediately that month, then just use a debit card or cash? Right. Yes. I mean, always. Absolutely. If you find yourself that you cannot pay the balance off uh, in a month, stop using the credit card until that is completely paid off because the interest starts moving up. Even if it starts out with, you know, they'll hook you in because they'll get a a 0% interest or, or low interest, but then it'll jump up very quickly. And, you know, that's that's part of their MO is they, you know, they want to lock you in or hook you in by low interest. But then if you get behind, they charge you huge interest and it becomes a major problem. You know, and if you do get in problems, I mean, they're, you know, don't be embarrassed or afraid of calling a credit counselor. You know, there are a lot of them out there. You know, they'll charge you a small amount, but they'll help you dig back out of that hole. But take it very seriously. Don't think it's going to go away. Don't think you're going to win the lottery. Deal with it immediately. Cut back immediately, but get those credit cards paid off because uh, it'll sneak up on you and it can ruin your life. It can absolutely ruin your life. And I think it's also important for women. You should be talking to your boyfriend, your fiance before you get married about what type of debt they have because you take on that debt, right? When that is you get, right. So you should yes. be... Yeah, you, you should definitely open your books. I mean, there's, you know, in the corporate world, no business buys the other one without having a due diligence uh, period where they've opened their books and they can see what's going on. I mean, it's, you know, you just want to know what you're getting yourself into. I mean, I keep you from doing it, but it, you may want to, you'll definitely want to know if you're getting into a bad situation uh, on that. So then if we have a listener who has a lot, an exorbitant amount of credit card debt right now. He would say immediate steps, cut back your spending, pay off as soon as possible, and and then possibly call a credit counselor. counselor. Credit counselor, yeah. Help. You may want to, depending on how bad it is, I would. You may want to start with a credit counselor, and again, they'll they get paid, but you know they'll get you out of it or do a research on how to get out of it. I mean, there are some things you can do with credit card companies. I mean, at the end of the day, anybody that lends you money, they want to get paid. And if you can't make the payment schedule they're on, you can call them and say, look, I can't do it. 
uh, I need what's called a workout schedule, and which means that they'll spread it out over time, hmm. so so that you can so you have a longer period of time to do it. But it is something that's very serious, and if you don't get on top of it immediately, you'll go into a death spiral, and again, it you can end up losing everything. So it's something, and there are people that they have a spendthrift issue, and so you need to recognize that in yourself and it takes it can take a lot of work to keep yourself from doing it but you know i would get rid of the, if you if you're in credit card debt get rid of the credit cards i mean it like i said use cash that is the quickest way to get you back on track because you can't spend what you don't have so it just takes something as simple as that to do it but it is i cannot stress enough uh, how debilitating that can be and how that can ruin your life so take it very very ser- seriously and, and respect the credit card mm, yes And moving right along in that similar vein, another question from our listeners was your perspective on saving versus spending on what I would say would be wants. I would call those wishes. You say wishes? Oh, yeah. Travel and experiences while you're young. Don't you think those are wants? (laughs) (laughs) I guess it's different for everyone. Wishes would be like a nice coat, wants would be travel okay but everyone's different we're just it's, everyone's different but that is correct. anyway so perspective on saving versus spending on whatever it is so whenever you are making a decision on spending money you're exchanging value for something else something that you put effort into and so you always want to calculate what the opportunity cost of spending is versus savings <clears throat> the uh, Einstein said the most powerful thing in the world is uh, compound interest. And so that's the compounding of money. And so to give you an idea of how that would work, you can take something as simple as a daily cup of coffee or latte or whatever it is. So, I mean, what does it normally cost in For a latte in New York? York $8. <laughs> okay. Well, that's, that's more than I, I did. So... <laughs> I just said it was $5. Well, so. maybe a regular cup of coffee, it's probably yeah. $5. Yeah. yeah. So you're doing $5, just for to make the math simple, we'll go $5. And so for 30 days a month, so that's $150 a month or $1,800 a year. And so if instead of spending it on that coffee or you know making it at home, if you took the money and invested it for 30 years, so if you're 25, you're 55, uh, or 30 or 60 or whatever it is. If you took that $1,800 and you put it into the market and you just got the average returns over time, uh, which is you know very easy to do, that $1,800 would be worth $28,800. So if you did that $5 a day coffee for eight years, it's the equivalent of having $230,000 in 30 years. And so, your coffee habit is costing you $230,000. That's what you're giving up. You could have taken that $230,000 and bought a G-Wagon for that, a loaded G-Wagon for it. And so when you're buying that cup of coffee, you should say, do I want this cup of coffee or do I want a G-Wagon? <laughs> and I just want everyone to know that Kate and I are sitting here with coffee we bought this we morning. We still will be buying the coffee. <laughs> but that's a, good, that's a good point because yeah. really that's what you could say is like you should be saving you should aim to save $150 a month. And that's like the bear. Like if you could save $200 a month, like that's even more money that you could eventually put in. So, so it doesn't necessarily have to be sacrificing your coffee if that's like your little, your little piece of joy, but being able to put that 
put that yeah. away in your budget, put that money away, and that's what you can invest in, and you can get your G wagon still. Yeah, and I think as my dad, as our dad said, it's just the op, like the cost versus what's worth to you in the moment. So if you right. go to coffee, if you're like, <laughs> actually, like it's really not a life goal of mine to have a G wagon. I'd rather get a Travel. cup of coffee every day. Then that's your own decision to make. But I think it's it's helpful to understand that breakdown so you can make an informed decision about whether you want to get mine would be is the delivery fee worth it when i could walk five minutes to pick up my chipotle or do i pay 15 dollar delivery fee yeah for me it's like is that 10 dollar lottery cookie worth it yes (laughs) but again it's all about what's worth it to you but you need to think about I mean, it's $230,000. You can spend it on anything. But the compounding of the money is enormous. Mm. And, you know, John D. Rockefeller said that uh, the amount of money you can make by having your money work for you is multiples larger, much larger than the amount of money you can make on your own efforts. So by saving and compounding that money, your lifestyle later on in your life will be much better. And so... Whenever you're thinking about a trip or any experience or any of those wants or wishes, make sure that you understand what you're giving up for that. It's why Warren Buffett, who, you know, one of the wealthiest people in the world, he drives a 10-year-old car. People say, why do you, you know, drive a 10-year-old car? He says, well, a new car is too expensive. And people say, oh, you know, you, you know, if what's, you know, if he bought, you know, a hundred thousand dollar car, he says, no, the amount of money I could make if I put that and invested it is much greater than the $100,000. It's just not worth it to me. So always put things in perspective of if you invested it and let it compound, what are you giving up uh, by doing that? Hmm. And I think you can do both. Like growing up, we traveled a lot, but the way we traveled was definitely budget travel. <laughs> a lot of red roofs we, in. We drove everywhere. We Because someone someone did ask a question for mom about how we, how we traveled with four kids and we drove everywhere. Mm-hmm. We, we rarely flew anywhere. We drove everywhere. We stayed in motel eights and red roofs and red roof ends, which were great. Like we didn't care. Like yeah, we, we were kids. Yeah, we like going to the Great Wolf Lodge was like a, a thrill for us and Applebee's was a treat and Things like that, and I guess that makes sense now why you did it that way. Because you were like, I can't, I would rather be putting that money in the stock market. Mm-hmm. And now you and mom can fly first class places. <laughs> but I feel like the moral of the story is it's all about what's worth it to you. If it's worth it to you to give up that compound earnings that you would get if you were to invest versus spend then it's worth it. Like you don't want to just live your life never having any experiences. That's not what it's all about. It's about what's worth it to you. Totally. Would you agree, Dad? Yeah, but uh, <laughs> I mean, it's. I, I just. I think um, if you're getting a cup of coffee every day for a year, you know, you experience that cup of coffee. Is that worth? If you had saved it, having twenty eight thousand dollars, you could spend. At coffee on an incredible trip somewhere yeah. around the world. I guess I should clarify when I think of these things, I think of an incredible trip. So, like spending like a thousand dollars on a plane ticket to Japan, for instance, which is something that I'm about to do. Like, yeah. I think it's like yeah. worth it to, to me not, to not but, waste your money on little things. Like, right. But a cup of coffee, I think, is a different story. 
personally. You're going to keep your coffee is what you're saying. But I'm saying. Yeah. But I you'll mean, save it in other places. This actually might be, this might influence me to, because I coffee like coffee home. that I make at home. I just sometimes like, it's like a treat sometimes to walk. I've been, yeah, a little treat in the middle of the day. And I've been trying to be better about not ordering as much, eating yeah. at home. Because that's really, for me, what, what adds up is. Is the, the delivery fees. all the time? Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, and then Halal Brothers is a pretty good deal. Yeah, we yeah. actually have a bunch of Halal trucks right by me, so maybe that'll be my new. That can be my walk. Go get also, a halal. yeah, you live by like not far from Westfield too, yeah. so that's yeah. I live by a million things I could just walk to instead of doing delivery. But we're working on that'll be my babu for this week. Love Again, it. I feel like that was already my babu. It's okay, right. so speaking of investing, what are the easy, easy ways to start investing? If, like that people can do on their own without necessarily needing a financial advisor or would you say you should just get a financial advisor? No. Um, well, first and foremost, the easiest way is to maximize your employer's uh, retirement plan. And again, we, we mentioned that. Make sure that you are putting in as much as you need to to get 100% of the match. So like I said, if they said they're going to match up to 3% or 5% or whatever it is, Make sure you max. It's very easy to do it. You don't even notice it after a while. One thing in that, it, you know, that's a long-term investment, so you actually want to get as aggressive as possible for that. So make sure it's 100% in equities. <clears throat> and just as if they don't have somebody that's going to help you there, just put it into whatever their S&P 500 index fund is. That's that'll do fine for you over time. Do do very well for you. So that is the easiest way and best way to start investing on that. Other than that, it's really, you can get uh, an advisor, but really if you're starting out, you're probably, it's probably not going to be worth the money. I, I think it's, your best bet is to go to just, you know, www.fidelity.com or Charles Schwab or you know, one of the discount brokers, reputable discount brokers. And um, there are a lot of, you know, easy ways to just do it on your own there. And they can set it up so they take, you know, $50 a month out of your checking account or whatever the amount is. But again, if if the rule of thumb is that if you need the money within three years, keep it in your money market and always understand what your needs are for this money. If it, you're saving it to put a down payment on a house or buy a new car or take a big trip or whatever it is, do not put it in the market. And when you say keep it in your money market, do you mean like just keep it in your savings account? Yeah, well, there's different kinds. Banks will, they'll pay a different amount of interest depending on what you put it into. So, you know, a checking account will probably pay nothing. A savings account will probably pay, you know, relatively small amount, less than 1%. But if they have got a money market option, then that usually pays more. And now is a good example of that. Uh, We haven't had it like this in a long time, but it's what it normally has been. Uh, throughout history that, you know, as I said, a checking account doesn't pay anything. A savings account may pay, you know, half a percent, but a money market account will pay over 4% uh, right now. So uh, obviously you want to pay attention to that. And money markets, they're, they're not guaranteed by the government, but that's okay. If you're at a reputable company, you don't have anything to worry about. But that's how you're going to earn the most amount of money on that saving. But it won't fluctuate in value. And so, and that's what you want. So, you know, the rule of thumb is that if you're investing for less than three years, volatility is your biggest risk. And so you want to make sure it's, you know, it's not going to move. If you're investing for more than three years, inflation is your biggest risk. And so you have to invest it to get, stay ahead of inflation. And that's where the S&P 500 is. 
And the, the three years is the margin, the market's rarely down for more than three years, even in the worst uh, bear markets. And so uh, there, there's a very high probability, it's almost a little bit less than 100%, that if you're investing for three years, it's not 100%, but it's, it's over 95%, you have a very high probability of making money in the market. So, and again, just put it in S&P 500, you don't have to get fancy with it. Do not buy an individual stock. Uh, it's the, uh, you wanna to try to diversify your risk as much as possible. And um, if you buy an individual stock, you're rolling the dice. Even if it's something like an Apple or Microsoft, you just never know. But if you buy an S&P 500 fund, you're spreading it out over 500 companies. You know, that is where you're going to get your best returns over time on that. And if you're speaking to someone who is a very new investor, how would you suggest that they choose like an Apple or like who, no, who saying, should they? Saying, don't, don't I would do not that. do it. Don't even invest in them in the first place at I all? I wouldn't, no, because you would, if you invest an S&P 500 index fund, is the S&P 500, Standard & Poor's 500, is uh, 500, it, Standard & Poor's puts it together and they invest all in all 500 companies for you. Mm. So you're invested in Apple and Microsoft and everything because they're one of the largest 500 companies. But you're invested in 500 companies. So if an Apple goes bad, then it's okay. You've got 499 other companies that are okay. So when you're starting out, you want to stay very diversified. And uh, an S&P 500 index fund <clears throat> is gives you exposure to those 500 companies. When they talk about the stock market, that's what people talk about, is are those 500 companies. But if you're buying an individual company, I would not recommend it. There's too much risk in there you know it's if you're doing that it's the equivalent of going to a, a casino so if you're going to invest money take money to a casino i mean that's just the high of risk that you, you're taking with one company even if it's an apple or microsoft the probabilities are that it's going to do very well but you could lose most of your investment and again there's no reason to do it and you don't want to do it unless you're independently wealthy you don't want to do that when you get to be independently wealthy then you know that yeah that more is, fun money that, yeah there that, that is when you Wishes. start that is yeah, when you Wishes. go out and find a financial advisor but until that time um just do s&p 500 i would just do the s&p i'd go to fidelity and do an s&p 500 index fund anyway. all, right. all right that's good to know so now top three best financial decisions to make in your <clears> 20s yeah. so i mean you're starting out you know again the first and foremost is do a budget go to quicken set it up Understand where your money goes every month. You'll, I think you'll be surprised at how you spend your money. And that helps give you a little bit of discipline and stick with it. And you will have a much happier life, lower anxiety, having a budget. You'll have control over your life. That's what everybody wants is to have some control over it. But go to Quicken and set that budget up and track it and follow it. And understand and make sure you're living within your means. I would only pay with cash or a debit card, um, except for emergencies or very large purchases. You know, but even then, uh, you know, I would stick, you know, try to pay with a debit card or cash because that debt can kill you, and credit card debt can kill you. If if you're paying, you know, anything above seven percent interest on a credit card, you're going to dig yourself a very deep hole. So don't do that. The third thing: contribute to your retirement plan at work at least up to the 100% match, whatever they match 100%. Again, it's a doubling of your money. You will not, I mean, you talk about investing in whatever hot stock or Bitcoin or whatever it is, 
100% return on your money is a lot better than any of those. So even the riskiest investments in that is guaranteed. So make sure you do that. And then I have a fourth one in here. And if you do go into bet, only go into debt to buy an asset that has value that you can readily sell. Okay. Don't go into debt. Like a debt. Birkin bag. Uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm not kidding. <laughs> because it, the only time you should go into debt, because things can go bad. If you've, you guys, a young person doesn't really get how bad things can go and spin out of control, out of your control. <clears throat> and if you've got debt, it just compounds the problem. It creates massive problems. So if you're going to go into debt, only go into debt where you can turn around and sell it if you have to. And so, you know, a car that, you know, you know most cars don't hold their value, but relatively close to it, you know, your condo, house, um, I mean, you know what you can sell, but only go into debt for that. That's the only time debt makes sense is when you're, you're taking on the debt, but you have an asset you could sell to pay off the debt if you needed to on that. And I think something that you, you touched on earlier about how it's, if you do have a lot of credit card debt or you feel like you do and you're not really aware and everything's kind of out of out of control, don't be embarrassed. It's just like when I when people come to me with medical questions, I always say, go get it checked out right away. Because the problem will just if it's something bad, the problem will just get worse. Mm-hmm. So it's better to attack it right now. So if you're scared, you're embarrassed, you're like, I'm too scared to open one of these accounts and see how my budgeting is, it's only going to get worse. So just do it now and try to get it under control now before it just continues to compound. Yeah. And then watch Confessions of a Shopaholic to help yeah. calm yourself. Yeah, you'll feel better. So <laughs> there's always movie. someone there's always someone worse out there yeah. that has worse debt exactly. in a worse financial situation. So this is your sign to just get it under control now. And I think something that can be a positive silver lining if you're young and you feel like your finances have gotten away from you this is the best time to totally. learn is when you like, for instance, if you don't have any real responsibilities yeah, or children, kids, yeah. this is the time to learn. Oh, like now I know I never want to get myself in this position again. And that can, I think, serve you for the rest of your life. So that's the silver totally. lining. And just like Kate said, attack it. You got this. Can you go back and touch on if you're, when you're looking to invest in your company's retirement fund, you said, look for the thing that is hundred percent equity. Yeah. And then if they don't have that S&P 500. No, well, no, the, the 100% equity would be the S&P 500. Oh, okay. So they will have in there, the way they typically break it down, I mean, they'll, they'll have a lot of choices, but they'll generally call it an all market fund or an S&P 500 fund. But you just want to have it be 100% in stocks because that's where you're going to get your best return over time. And again, you're when you're investing in retirement, for retirement, you invest, you're investing for the long term. So inflation is your biggest risk. And so you want to have something that keeps up with inflation. And that's why you want to have it in there. And it's don't go. I would not have anything in bonds. I mean, the bonds can be risky. Last year, bonds were down 13 percent. So people think bonds aren't risky. They are. So if you get rewarded for your risk over time by having it in the stock market, which, you know, again, is all that is, is a collection of companies like an Apple or Microsoft or whoever it is. And their job is to increase their earnings over time, and they'll do it. And you want to participate in that as an owner. So when you go in there and it says, "What is it?" Just say, you know, if they just tell you aggressive option, that's what you want. Uh, even though you you think I'm not, a, you're not aggressive. It's not aggressive. It's just uh, over the long term, that is where you're going to get your best return over time. Yeah, I mean, you're not going to lose your money. I mean, that's right. that's what people think when they see aggressive. 
It will fluctuate in value up and down. You actually want that. You want volatility because over time, the market is up 100% of the time. And so, you know, typically what we say is that I don't know if the market's going to go up or down 20% or which direction the next 20% move is going to be, whether it's going to be up or down, because nobody knows if it's going to go up 20% or down 20%, but I can guarantee you where the next 100% move is going to be and it will be up. So, mm, there you go. <clears throat> so, so that's like that money. then the importance of leaving it in the market over yes. a long period of time. And don't, don't like stress about it. Yeah, like if the market's down and you see your value, the, the value just of your money go down, it. just don't yeah. fret. Just leave it where it is. It'll change. No, yeah, just don't look at it. That's it'll, it. it'll be fine. My there woman in business professor, she said, don't don't even look at it. All wow. right. So, I mean, I know. <laughs> I learned a lot. All right. Explain Roth IRAs and HSAs. I've learned about HSAs yeah. recently with Dictator and paying her pediatrician bill. <clears throat> so, this segues a little bit into, you know, what are the best vehicles to invest in? You have your Roth, your Roth IRA, your traditional IRA, and your HSA. And this comes into 401ks too. So, when you get your 401k, most companies have an option to do a Roth 401k. And so the difference is, and this gets down in the weeds a little bit, but, and if you wanna know about more about it, you definitely wanna get on the internet and, and look at it. But a Roth IRA, the money goes in after you've paid taxes on it, okay? And so you make your money, you pay taxes on it, and then you contribute to a Roth. And, but it is never taxed again. So it goes into the Roth IRA or the Roth 401k after tax. When you take it out, you never pay tax on it again. Okay. And so it grows for you completely tax free. So it compounds tax free over many years with no taxes. And taxes can be up to 30% whenever you sell. So it is a big benefit to do that. And you want to do a, um, you want to do a Roth. IRA or 401k if you are in a low tax bracket or you think you're going to be in a, a higher tax bracket when you retire and take the money out. So what's a low tax bracket? Uh, you know, a low tax bracket, these are the current numbers for 2023. If you're single and you make less than $182,000, you're in the 24% tax bracket. Okay. So it's not that low of income. I mean, it, it sounds low, but you're only taxed 24% of the money. If you, you know, if you are in the 40% tax bracket when you retire, I mean, obviously that's a big number. So if you're, if you make less than $182,000, you want to be in the Roth, uh, traditional Roth or Roth 401k. That okay. is a big salary. To yeah, that's that's way more than I make. Yeah. Good night. I, I just wanted to give you some. I mean, anything less than that, I think you should do a Roth or traditional Roth. And it's even bigger for a married filing jointly is actually if you make less than $364,200 that you're in the 24% tax bracket or lower. And I think that makes sense. Now, some people might say it's lower than that, but I I think 24% is is a good number on that. So if you're given the option at at work to do a traditional 401k or a Roth 401k, if you make less than those amounts, you want to do the Roth. Okay, so the Roth, you put it in, you pay, you pay, use it with after-tax money, after you've paid taxes on it. It goes in there, it's never taxed again. A traditional IRA or a traditional 401k goes in before taxes. And so um, it goes in before taxes and it grows completely tax-free like the Roth. But when you take it out, 
you are taxed on whatever it is grown to. And that can be a big number. So and if, if you think you're going to be in a high tax bracket when you take it out, which will be after you're 59 and a half, you're forced to take it out when you're 75, but after 59 and a half, uh, you'll be taxed on it there. So just keep that in mind on that. <clears throat> if you have excess money after you have contributed to your retirement plan and want to save more, you can put more into a Roth or a traditional IRA. Uh, if you can do the Roth, it's better. But if you make too much money, uh, you can't do a Roth. But you can do it and you can still put the money in. You can put the money in up until you file your taxes for the previous year. So if you're going to file your taxes on April 18th this year, which is the filing deadline, you can do one for 2022. So it's not too late to do that. And it's actually $6,000 that you can put in, up to $6,000, or what you, the amount of money you made. So you can't, if you didn't make $6,000, you can't put more than $6,000 in, but you can do up to six, what you made or $6,000. For 2023, you get to do more at $6,500. And so it's not too late to do that for either a Roth or a traditional IRA. But that is the next thing you can do because it grows completely tax-free for you. And again, for the Roth, it's never taxed again. And a traditional IRA, it will be taxed when you take it out or the growth of it will be. Now, you can take it out. You're not supposed to take it out until you're 59 and a half. And if you do, you get penalized on it. You get 10% of whatever it's grown, what the growth of it is uh, penalized at 10%. But there are some excep exceptions, like the down payment, your first down payment on a house up to $10,000, to pay for qualified higher education expenses, to pay for medical expenses if it's more than 10% of your income. You can also take it out in equal periodic payments. Um, you can pay tax penalties with it or if you're permanently disabled. Wait, so if I want to buy a house and yeah, I've been contributing to my Roth, I can use that money without having to have it like taxed out when I take it out to yeah. be penalized. Or penalized. Wow. It's also yeah. a good way to force yourself to save, I feel like, because if you just put it in a, unless you need the money in the three years, like you <clears> said, <throat> it's a good way to force yourself to do long-term saving because you're not going to yeah. touch it. And this is so good to know because I feel like everything you just listed there, that is what I would be saving it for. On. It's like rainy day or like if I want to buy a house. Yeah. So that's... You, you can use it as an emergency fund, so but it does have to be an emergency. It can't right. be to take a big trip. <laughs> <laughs> How does that count? Even though it might feel like an emergency. <laughs> but um, and so that's with a Roth. Our traditional IRAs, you can do the similar things with it. Uh, but if you take it out, you're taxed on it. The Roth, you're not taxed on. <clears throat> but the uh, traditional IRA, you can take it out with no penalty, but you are taxed because you've never been taxed on it before. But uh, on, along with those things that I listed, which again, you can just get on and the internet and see what the hardship withdrawal um, requirements are, what you can do for that. But you can also take up to $5,000 out of your IRA for birth or adoption expenses mm. to pay your health insurance premium if you can't pay it from anywhere else, <laughs> or if you're in the reserves and you get called to active duty. Mm. So anyway, but that is, those are the best ways uh, to invest in there. Now, HSAs are actually, if you want to save money on taxes, they are the best way because it, it goes in before tax. If you take it out to pay for medical expenses, it's, it's not taxed and it grows completely tax-free. And so it's there for you for your medical expenses, but we actually, you actually don't want to touch it if you don't have to. If you can pay for your medical expenses somewhere else, you can do it because it, it, you do get such incredible tax savings from it. 
But, well, I mean, it's... It was people, only like a $50 visit. Oh, I did not know. So can you explain, yeah, why do you not want to touch it? Can you? So the health savings accounts is what, are what they're called. So you put the money in and you, I, it's... If you've got the extra money, I, I mean, I would definitely would put this in a want uh, category, but I would put the money in. It goes in before tax. So you save taxes on it. So you say if you're in a, you know, if you are in the 24% tax bracket, you save that money immediately. So you got a guaranteed return on that. It continue, it grows tax free. So you want to invest it aggressively, or, or you know, have it at hundred, you know, S and P 500 index fund. You can invest your HSA. <clears throat> yes, and you you want to make sure you don't you do that because you do have to get in there and do it. Huh. Yeah, some people will just have it sit in their savings account, and you don't want to do that. You want it to grow for you, because uh, statistically, as a young person, you're not you're you're not going to need it for a long time. So you want to get as much growth as you can over time. And then if you take it out for a qualified medical ex- expense, it comes out tax-free. So it's completely tax-free across the board, which can be a big, big benefit. And that's why the longer you leave it in there, the better. So if you can pay your medical expenses using something else, do it and let that grow for you. <clears throat> because any money that has already been taxed, that's you know sitting in your money market account, that's already been taxed. It's going it's to get taxed on anything you earn on it. So you might as well use that because that technically is you're, you give up the least by using the money in the money market. You give up the most by using your HSA. Right, because right. it can be invested. Yeah, in, and it's not taxed. <clears throat> yeah. So I did so not know that. Basically, to summarize, if you are making less than one hundred and eighty-four thousand dollars a year, I think it's eighty-two. The first. Okay, I'm sorry. Sorry. This guy. <laughs> the first, the first thing, like when they give you all the options for your retirement fund, you want to look for a, you want to do a Roth IRA. But it's the first, best option. But, but first, you want four hundred one k. But first, you want to match your what you're, you yeah. want to do what your company matches, and then after that, go to your Roth IRA. Well, so this is the way it actually goes. Huh? So first, you are your first savings options is your employer's retirement plan. Okay, and they will say. How much do you want to put in? And you will say, I want to put in as much so I get uh, all of it matched by you. And so it's usually you can put up and, you know, they'll match the first 5% of your salary or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And so that's what you want to do. Then they'll say, do you want to do a Roth 401k or a traditional 401k? Mm-hmm. And if you make, if you're single and you make less than 182 or married and make less than 364, uh, I say do a Roth. Now, some it. people may say may say it's less than that, but you know everybody's different. But I, I mean, it's, it's close. Everybody's close. And so, pick the traditional or the Roth in there, okay? And so, within that, you can do a lot more than what they're going to match. You can put the max in, which generally is up to twenty five percent of your salary, or you know, everybody's a little bit different. But you still want to maximize the retirement plan. So, if you've done the max in your employer retirement plan and then you still have money left over that you want to save then go to either a Roth or a traditional IRA okay um, now and actually before that I'd go to the HSA so okay. I'd go oh, before HS- Roth before, HSA. before Roth I'd go HSA then I would go to Roth uh, or a traditional IRA depending on how much money you make on that. so really what I'm hearing is you shouldn't be doing your own independent investing in the S&P 500 until you've already contributed, you maxed out all these contributions. 
Correct. Which I think a lot of people don't know I all, know all of these semantics of, of what you can do within your within your work. I think that when people yeah. are asking, how do I start investing? They're, they're probably not even, they haven't even done any of this Roth IRA, HSA, any of that stuff yet, but I the, would say. I think the only danger is you cannot readily take out this money. Yeah, so, so that's it has like to be money you're if willing. If you need it within three years, then you should do then, the money. Or, or even for Roth, though, if you need it at all, you really yeah. shouldn't be contributing because you can't take it out unless it's for one of the reasons we listed. So it needs to be right. money you can absolutely say. Ta-ta yeah, to. but which I think is good because then you never even see it in your paycheck. So it's not like it's you're not you're not even having to do something. It's something that's automatically withdrawn, which I think helps encourage you to do it. Mm-hmm. I think it'd be harder for me if someone paid me a thousand dollars and I was like, oh, now I got to take two hundred of that thousand and put it over here. Mm-hmm. If you just give me eight hundred dollars, then I just feel better about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I just want to be clarifying something. So if you again, if you if you can't afford to max everything out. Should you do 401k max, HSA max, and then whatever's left over do Roth? Yes. Yes. Okay. Roth, so Roth, Roth is the last. Roth is last. Got it. Even if you're below 182. <clears throat> uh, yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. I mean, it, yes. I mean, that's the pecking order of where you get the, it's the most efficient or the most effective is in that order. So... At the very least, do the minimum of what they'll match because you get 100% of your money. Next, continue to do the max of what your employer allows you to do in the retirement plan. Then do the HSA. And then once you've maxed that out and you have extra money that you don't see a need for mm-hmm. ever, ever, put it either into a Roth if you're in that less than 182 <clears throat> or IRA if you're higher than that. Then you'll can call a financial advisor. You can start investing more aggressively outside of that to get more return. So then really, like I, I feel like I hear a lot of advice of you should be sure, for instance, that you should have like three months rent in your savings account, for instance. Oh. But that should be money that you should not be investing anywhere because there's a chance you would need it. So you should put it in like a high-yield savings. Or a money. That's or a when money you say high-yield savings, that's what I say is a money market. Money market. Got it. Okay. All right. So yeah, you should have that... You know, three months cushion and just put that in the money market and leave it there <clears throat> and then keep moving on. But you should not, if you have high, I mean, this is another way to think about it. If you've got debt, you should not be doing the high end savings because mm-hmm. your high end savings, even if you're making 4%, your credit card debt is charging you 16%. Right. So we call that negative arbitrage, if you want to know the, the big, mm-hmm. or, you know, negative spread, meaning. The difference between the 4% and the 16%, you're losing money. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. You should be focusing on paying down so, your yeah. so pay down first. So, credit card so, first. So, yeah, pay down, get rid of that in there. So yeah, Once yeah. you're done with that, then you can worry about... Yeah, so that makes sense then to me. So we're filing this savings kind of under wishes. Like being able to save is kind of a wish. I, I think so. I mean, Definitely. Yeah. That makes sense. But it also, think about the trade-off between the G-Wagon and the cup of coffee. <laughs> we're back he's G-Wagon, judging us G-Wagon. for our cups of coffee and we're sipping right in front I, I, of him I'm just telling you there's I mean it's or, or Halal Brothers are going to you know you name it yeah so, yeah for sure the Union uh, Union Street Cafe or whatever alright thank you Dad. that was very very informative yes um, so our next question is what should I be doing in college to start saving and investing 
So, I mean, it really comes down, you don't obviously don't have a retirement plan, but I mean, it's the same thing. One, the Roth IRA is the best because you're probably in a very low tax bracket. So you want to take all, you want to take as much as you can and maximize the Roth IRA. You know, again, there's these, these other options you can take it out, but that, that's what I would do. And then, yeah. how, but if you're in college, how do you sign up for a Roth IRA? Is that would yeah, that be offered through the college? No, you just again fidelity, I, fidelity, Schwab. fidelity, or Charles Schwab, or any of those. But make sure they're reputable. Don't do one of the hip and groovy ones because hmm. uh, you what know, are look, some that you should avoid? Can you say? Well, I don't allegedly. I don't. Know. I mean, it's just some of the you know AI ones or fintech ones that are kind of you know. And I don't want to disparage. I mean, these all might be you know like a betterment. I, or, um, I don't know, there, there's some that I just stick with the big blue chip ones. Yeah, like, the ones that have always worked. That, like, yes. like a Fidelity, like a Schwab. You're not going to get in trouble with those. And their interface is, should be very simple. And uh, they're not going anywhere. You know, you can trust them. And they're good at dealing with a lot of people. But again, it, you can put, for a Roth, you can put into 100% of what you earn or up to six thousand dollars for 2022, which you can still do till you file your taxes for sixty-five hundred dollars next year. And again, it goes in there. You're probably in a low tax bracket. It goes in there, and it'll grow for you completely tax-free. And if you're in college, if you're you know 20 years old, by the time you're 60, you know, like I said, you can you can do the math. Just assume it doubles for you every seven years. Is um, if you put it in an S&P 500 fund, r- roughly seven years. Something I would say though that Roth is something that you don't ever think that you're going to need to touch. So if you're in college, consider saving for like your first apartment. Well, this would be after. This would be after all yeah, of that. Make, make, make sure yeah. this money is money that you don't need right. in the immediate, immediate future. Yeah. Again, this is if you it's want to investment. do something long term for more than five years, then. Right. Just wanted to make that clear because yes. it is expensive when you're first starting out to get that first apartment, to fill it with furniture. So be sure that that's taken into account before you do the raw. And this kind of goes into our next question about investing money in the stock market versus keeping it in a savings account. Well, so really quick, I have a question. How important when you're young is it slash how should you go about building credit that might go against what we said but i know that like for getting an apartment so credit, paying your credit is that so that's the thing is that important to have a good credit when you're young and if so then how should you do it yeah, well you, you you need a credit card unfortunately <laughs> that's the way to do it. but uh, the other thing on the credit cards <clears throat> is it's a little bit of a double-edged sword but you get a credit card and i would put a low limit on it yeah and just so you don't get in trouble and just keep making sure you pay it off every month because you can yeah. destroy your credit on that. And other than that, that's really, you know, just get a, you know, get a, you know, whatever you're like a college level credit card. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think something that you had told me when I was younger is like, if you want to build credit, get a credit card, like buy something for like $25 every month and then pay it off immediately. Um, yeah, it's like a slow way to start to, building yeah, credit. Just, There's you can Google like the what matters in your credit score. It's like how many times someone actually checks your credit score. That's not good. How many? How your length of having credit? So like how long you've been with a bank? How many? If you have any default payments, that matters. Mm-hmm. 
I don't know. I learned but, this in my women in business class. Again, There's like five things that matter. But yeah. again, if we have any like freshmen in college or like young college kids who are listening, do you think that that's an important thing they should be paying attention to? Yeah, I mean, oh it's. Oh my gosh, yes. Yeah. I mean, I would get a credit card and have. I would put a low limit on it, so you can't spend more than what you can afford, and you know whether it's five hundred dollars or a thousand dollars. And then pay it off every month. If you're not paying it off every month, you're doing yourself more harm than good. So mm-hmm. just pay attention to it. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Let's see. Yeah, Kate, you want to ask the next so question? So this is just kind of you know what we've already been talking about, but how important is investing money in the stock market versus keeping it in a savings account? And when, when would you ever just have it in a normal savings account? Would that just be, I don't even know. Like When would you want it just in a well, savings account? Not a money market, just... I mean, I, I, the savings account really is for um, your monthly expenses, really, and just moving it. I mean, I don't know if there's going to be much difference between it. Depending on your bank, there, there generally is not much difference between a checking account and savings account. And again, if you know if you don't have any credit card debt, keep three months worth of expenses in there. If you have something that you are you know, saving for. By definition, go ahead and put it in the money market. But it, it really comes down to that three-year number. You know, if you think I'm going to buy a house in five years, I would go ahead and put it in the S&P 500 fund. But <clears throat> when you get within three years of thinking you're going to need the money, put it in the savings. So it's not I'm going to put it in five years now, and then five years from today I'm going to sell it out of the stock market and buy the house. It's when you're within three years of needing it. And because the logic is, you know, the average bear market lasts 39 months and so, you know, r- you know, roughly three years. So even if you put it in the stock market and it goes down, it'll fully recover b- by the time you need it uh, in three years. But always, that's where the budget comes in. You know, budget is more than just monthly. It's if you say, I have a goal of buying a house in five years, mm-hmm. you know what it is. You know, just always remember that if you invest for less than three years, volatility is your biggest risk. So you don't want vol- volatility. So use the savings account. If you're investing for more than three years, inflation is your biggest risk. And so you want to have it in something that grows faster than inflation. And that's the stock market. And, you know, diversified S&P 500 fund or an all market fund, something that has lots of stocks in it. So yeah, technically because of inflation, inflation if you're not investing, your money is slowly using, losing value, right? Correct. Yeah, the net, that's the net present value of money. That's why... Mm-hmm. That's what I talk about inflation. It's, you know, if you're, if you've got a thousand dollars today, well, you know, if you leave it in the savings account, it doesn't earn anything or burns, earns very little. 10 years from now, it's not going to buy the same thing. So, you know, because the price of everything goes up. Right. And, Mm -hmm. but if you put it in the stock market, stocks, companies, earnings are in dollars. And so if there's inflation, earnings will keep up with inflation. And so the stock price will keep up inflation over time. It's, you know, this... The statistic is the market goes up 78% of the time, uh, but in order to get that 78% of the time, you have to endure the 22% of the time that it goes down. Mm. But that's the beauty, again, of this money being something that you don't feel like you're going to need to touch for that length of time, is if it goes up and down, it shouldn't affect your day-to-day. Right. Because you have your you have your three months of expenses, Mm -hmm. and you're paying down your credit card debt, so Mm -hmm. you're good. Or you have no credit card debt Or you have no credit card debt. Um, okay. Mm-hmm. Last last question. What should when should a newlywed couple consult a financial consultant slash advisor? Yeah. So this is a uh, 
I read through all your choices of questions, and this is actually a very, very important one. The, the mm. number one destroyer of marriages or, or argument, source of arguments is money. And so, you know, that's why one, you know, and I, I know most, you know, for us, pre-Cana, but whatever it is, you talk about your- Premarital counseling pre- is what he's talking premarital about. Counseling, counseling, you have, um, you do an aptitude test on your financial, how, how compatible you are financially. And if you don't get this figured out, and it's not easy, I mean, it is hard, I think, you're going to have problems. And so both of you have to understand what your strategy is. You know, do you share checking accounts? Do you have keep separate ones? <clears throat> you know, typically the later in life you get married, it's the more you see people keep everything separate and they just contribute into one pot to cover shared expenses. I think that's a difficult way to do it. When you're younger and getting in, you're both starting out. So, I mean, you're sharing everything. So you just throw it in there. But it, each other, you know, one may be a spendthrift, one may be a miser, and it can cause a lot of stress. And so that's why first time that you feel like, you know, I've married a spendthrift, I'm on a miser, get a third party involved to help mediate that and help get you on a good solid budget and to work with that. So uh, don't screw around with that because, you know, things can escalate pretty quickly over time if you're not on this, both on the same page on that. But just there's a lot of great sources on the internet <clears throat> on how to manage it for married couples. Find one that works for you and um, make sure you stick with it. So <clears throat> I put that down as one of the questions I think you should always address because don't think it's just going to work its way out. Because once you get into your marriage and the realities of life come by, money is a very, very significant part of that. So you, the both of you need to be on a the same page. It, it's a business. One of you has to be a CFO and make sure all the budgeting and priorities, what you spend money on is agreed to in there. So if you need help, find somebody that help you. There's a lot of great resources on the internet. Yeah. So really you should be talking about that during your engagement mm-hmm. process mm-hmm. and making sure that you're on the same page about what that looks like and what your financial health looks like and how what your roles and responsibilities will be going forward. And I think that is a huge point of stress, especially like you said, if one person saves a lot and one person spends a lot, that can cause a lot of arguments. And you can see those patterns before you even get married in someone. So Mm -hmm. I think it's important to discuss before you even get married because that might, you might not be compatible really long-term. Like that could be, an issue that could lead to a divorce if you don't talk about it. So, yeah, I, I had a client. I had a client that he divorced his wife because she would not stop spending money on their sons. And what? He, they would come to. I mean, they were teenagers, and they would come to her and say, "Mom, I need this, that, or the other thing," and she would just keep giving them money. And it drove the husband, who was, you know, working hard for it and completely different from that. I mean, you had a mom, very maternal. I can't say no to these guys. And uh, you just figure it out how to pay for it. And he ended up divorcing because he said, you know, I can't do this anymore. And um, the funny thing was, I mean, they, they, I mean, it's not funny, but they kept, it's very amicable. I mean, they continued, they didn't live together anymore, but he did that so that financially he didn't have to cover them. So... Mm -hmm. 
they kind of went on with their lives and she figured it out. I mean, she took it. For him, it was better to give her half the assets and say, here's your half. If you want to give it all to your kids and be a spendthrift, do it. But I'm not putting up with it anymore. Mm. Uh, but, and you can, I guarantee you, when they first got married, they didn't even think about that. And yeah. so, but it, you can hit extremes like that where it is so frustrating. And, you know, when you're married to somebody that owns half the assets, they can do whatever they want. And if you can't stop them from doing that, the only way to stop it is to get divorced. Yeah. So, yeah. And he would much rather cut it in half, say, here it is, and I'm going on with my half. You do whatever you want with your half. And so that's an extreme example, but it, it don't think it doesn't happen. Yeah, right. it does. Exhibit A. Before we do our baboos, if there was one last piece of advice you would give, to people out there on their finances. Yes, like if you were to give us a, an advice to <clears throat> to us, you've been giving us lots of advice over our life, but if you had to pick one. Get in the habit of budgeting, live within your budget, stick with it every month, just make it part of your monthly routine is know exactly what you're spending and where everything's going and don't use the credit card, pay off the credit cards every month. Yeah, I think that's, that's really good advice because Spencer puts everything that we spend into an Excel spreadsheet. And when you actually see it with your own two eyes, yeah. like it makes me physically ill sometimes to like see what I'm spending on Ubers and like just little things like that. It's, it's gross. Like once you actually see it with your, with your two eyes, it's so, it's so important, even though you just kind of want to be like, close your eyes, ignorance is bliss, but it, it really is. Well, that's the huge. Same, same thing with coffee. One $5 coffee never really seems like a big deal, but then when you compound it, it really adds up. Yeah. Just think Quickly. about the G wagon. Think about the G wagon. Okay. So for our babu, our babu segment, do you, do you know what babu means? Babu's what Sydney created, be a better you. So little daily habits that you do to, to be the best you. So what are a couple things that you do daily? And then what's something that you want to implement next week to be a better you? Be little, little things. It can be, yeah, whatever you want. I know. Um, you wake up really early every morning. Try to get up uh, early and you know, try to be as nice as I can to my spouse. It's a good one. Happy wife, happy life. Yes. And um, you know, try to focus on living a Christ-like life every day. That's a good one. So, so what's something next week that you're going to implement to, to be better? Well, uh, I mean, this is not a good time to ask that, but normally it's... Um, Go on walks every day. Yeah, he's rehabbing an injury. He's rehabbing an injury. So. We've been there. <laughs> so I feel like going on walks every day. Is that good, a good get one? Outside. We yeah. just gave him his babu. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, just... Yeah, well, uh, I mean, I, I, it's one just... You know, get up early, be nice to my spouse, be considerate of my spouse, you know, find ways to live a Christ-like life and um, do the best job for my clients as possible. And don't do the easy things. Do the things that have to get be done to, to have a, uh, a great result. Mm-hmm. So I am doing my Duolingo right now. That's, that's Duolingo! A good, that's, a good that's a great one. You, guys, you want to talk about why, going to why you guys oh, yeah. are doing your Duolingo? Well, it's, I mean, it's, I, I took a lot of French. I know a lot of French, but which would be the easy one. But the reality of it is that um, I think um, learning Spanish is going to be much more effective. Yeah. Uh, We're also more, going to Peru. A lot more people mm. speak Spanish than speak French. Yeah, that, especially in the U.S. Yeah, well, obviously. I think that's just much more practical. So. You guys are going to Machu Picchu. Yeah, we're going to go to Machu Picchu. Picchu. and. Uh, 
Si, senor. Late June, and hopefully it'll be helpful there. But I feel like that's one of your bad news is every year you do something crazy. <laughs> I don't. I wouldn't call it crazy. <laughs> running with the bull. Uh, running with the bull. He's already been to Australia. I like, went to Australia this year. There's spy- crazy spiders in Australia. Yeah, well, I like to. I like playing all the top hundred golf courses. Experiences are a want for him, not a wish. Yes. Much like me. Yes. I feel like I've been given talents. I don't want to bury my talents. Yes. So I want to go out and use them. And <clears throat> there's someday I will not be able to do it. Mm-hmm. And um, that day is not today. So mm-hmm. I want to maximize it as much as I can. I've got a lot, lot more things to see and do. Yes, so. sir. All right, Kate. What's your babu? And what was last week's? What was last week's babu? Kate, have you not been doing it? Clearly, I have not. No, my babu is working out, which I definitely have not been doing. (laughs) It's okay. Um, My babu this week. What what should my babu be? Oh gosh. Well, Well, you know what? My babu is going to be drinking coffee at home every day and seeing how much I save during the week. And I'll report back on my savings. Love that. Um, My. Babu for last week was to do yoga, and for one circumstance to the next, I was not able to, <laughs> to do that. Even though I love my Monday yogas, it's like such a good ritual, but something came up that I could not go. So I'm going to really be intentional about doing that next week, and I think I also am going to set up a budget. There you go. You can be our tester. I, I do budget, but I don't like do it in any sort of like... Excel document or anything like that. Get, well, so get, on, get on Quicken does it. Quicken, I'm getting on Quicken. That is good that, back. that you can import all your credit cards. Yeah, I think that would be Quicken. It does it for you on automatically. It'll bring it. It'll download it all for you automatically. So Quicken it is. All right, Dad. Thank you so much thanks, for being thanks on. Thanks for joining us. Spreading the good word. Yes. All right. Bye, bye guys. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. And Monday reset. Let's, Let's go. go.